Welcome to The Theatre, the podcast of the Royal College of Surgeons of England. The Theatre is an ongoing conversation on surgery and surgical training, featuring practitioners from around the world and discussions ranging from learning and professional development to advances in technology and technique. This is the first episode of a two-part podcast on the theme of Failing Intelligently, presented by Karis Grimes, colorectal and general surgeon, and Ginny Bobrick, vascular surgeon, both at Medway Hospital in Kent. In this episode, Karis and Ginny will discuss resilience in the face of adverse outcomes, as well as the difference between failing well and failing badly. The second episode will center on specific case studies as Karis and Ginny share some of their personal experiences. Welcome to the first of two podcasts. This is um, the first podcast, which is going to be about failure and looking at complications and the emotional impact of complications and of mistakes. My name is Kara Scrimes. I'm a consultant general and colorectal surgeon in Kent. And um, as part of that, I'm divisional governance lead. So I am responsible in part for serious incident investigations. I am here today with my colleague, Ginny Bobrick. Hello, so I'm a consultant vascular surgeon at Medway. Uh, my name's Ginny Bobrick, um, and this um, wish to do, do a podcast started after um, going through a coroner's inquest together and the feelings that were associated with it. And I think many of us will have had times in our careers where we do suffer from feelings of failure. And we can, and that can happen both when things have gone really badly wrong or we've made a mistake, but sometimes when things just haven't gone the way we've hoped and expected, even when we've done everything as well as we can and as well as we possibly could have done. I think some of these feelings are now increasing um, and the, the, the occurrences are increasing where more cases go to the coroner's um, and there's um, higher, uh, the duty of candor with the families, and quite rightly that this happens. But when um, it, these conversations are very difficult to have, and it's very difficult to have those without feeling a failure and that you failed personally, because being a surgeon, it's such a privilege that someone puts their faith in you to perform the procedure, to perform the operation, to pull them through. And although you tell people about risks, of course they assume that those risks aren't going to occur. And when they do, it's really hard to acknowledge um, that something has gone wrong. Yeah, I think that's right. And sometimes you feel like you've invested a lot in somebody, and especially if you've known them for a long time or you've spent a lot of time trying to, especially the really complex cases where, where the decision-making is really complex and you, it, it, it can be really heartbreaking, actually, for things not to go as you would hope that they would. Um, heart, heartbreaking, obviously, for the families as well but and, and, and for the patients. But... Um, you know, it can be difficult for us too and for us to accept and acknowledge that. As surgeons, we all know that quote from uh, René Lariche, um, where he says that every surgeon carries about with him a little cemetery in which from time to time he goes to pray, a cemetery of bitterness and regret of which he seeks to the reason for certain of his failures. Um, and and we, like, we always, I mean, for me, the patients where I can reflect on 
um, cases, you can you can still remember the cases, you can remember their faces, remember the families, you remember all those things about them, and you do carry with you those cases for the, for the whole of your career. So I guess what we're trying to look at today is how we can respond well to failure and how we can make the best of a bad situation, whether that is, we're going to mostly talk about management of mistakes and complications, but certainly want to bear in mind that you don't have to have made a mistake in order to really suffer quite profound emotional consequences of a death or complication as a surgeon. And I think we'll start by this concept of failing well or, or failing badly. So when something happens or when something goes wrong, people and organisations can either fail well or they can fail badly. Now, characteristics of people or individual or, or organisations who fail well is where people accept responsibility, admit mistakes, seek feedback, improves as a result. And there's a, some organisational research showing that organisations that seek to learn from failure as a way to improve ultimately become much more successful than, than organisations that don't. And certainly in education, when we talk about growth mindset, then, then that's the same. It's about learning that failure um, can be something to learn from, both uh, from, uh, from you as an individual and also your organisation. Conversely, people or organisations that fail badly um, is characterised by avoiding responsibility, never admitting to mistakes. People who fail badly tend to fear feedback. They're frightened of criticism um, and therefore they don't improve as a result and ultimately may drop out of the system. And there's been research around both organisations and individuals that show that if they seek to learn from failure and mistakes, they are far more likely to become ever more successful because in the long run, they learn where their weaknesses are and they learn to mitigate it. Um, and that, that in itself leads to adaptability, versatility and resilience. I think one of the problems there, though, is, is, is admitting failure and worrying about the consequences of admitting failure. And, it, and you're saying that people who can, who learn and can admit those failures, it's the worry of how everyone else is then going to perceive them um, admitting they've failed. Yeah, I totally agree. And, um, and Bauer Garber was a good example of this. And, and I think that was um, quite hard to, you know, that, that you know, to, to work out then how do you admit to mistakes in a way that is safe and is not going to put you in the position that Bauer Garber ended up in. Um, and that's been, I think, quite difficult, particularly for um, the surgical profession in the United Kingdom as to, to how we do this. How, how can we be um, people and individuals and organisations who fail well without, um, you know, throwing ourselves off the cliff at the same time. Hmm. And, and what do you think? I mean, when we've discussed this before, it's how can you get that an organisation to be the right organisation? Is it cultural or is it how can how can that be created within an organisation to be able to fail well? Yeah, I think that's, um, and I think the more I look at this, I think there are two main factors. There's the fact that there's the the individual factors, if you want, um, whether you're the individual is someone who fails well or fails badly, and um, anyone listening to this who has children may know of the concept of growth mindset and fixed mindset. And I think, um, although most of the research has been edu in education, there is research outside of education. In fact, I recently read a paper about paediatric residents with growth mindset or fixed mindset 
Um, but I think you can be the best growth mindset person in the world. And by growth mindset, for those who aren't familiar with the term, it's when you when um, you see your failure as something separate from yourself and as a tool to learn from and you encourage your student or whoever it is you're talking about to take responsibility, to seek feedback and, and wishing to improve. Fixed mindset people tend to be very defined by their success or failure. It is who they are. They are their success or their failure. It's not something separate from them that they learn from. And they can therefore be particularly uh, affected by failure because it's, it's part of who they are. It's part of their identity. And they can be very afraid to admit mistakes. They can certainly avoid or fear feedback and frightened of criticism um, and can be frightened of challenge. But I think, you know, putting aside the individual characteristics, the other is, is the organisational characteristics. So you can be the most growth mindset person in the world and totally willing to accept your mistakes, totally willing to admit, totally willing to learn, change, improve, whatever. If you're in a department or an organisation where everyone's going to be totally fixed mindset on you, if you like, and define you by your failure and define you by your mistakes and really hang you out to dry, then, then, then the organisation will never learn and, and, and you know, you're going to have a really difficult time. So I think there's individual factors and there are organisational factors. I think we've all sat in those um, sort of M&M meetings where we felt there's been a bit of finger pointing going on about what people have done wrong rather than learning um, what, what everyone has done within that situation. You know, people talk about the Swiss cheese and the Balagama Garber case was typical of that, that all the holes in the Swiss cheese alliance very rarely one mistake that causes a serious event. And I mean, you've done, you, you do all the research and, and, and um, into that for our organisation. It's always a series of events that line up to allow that to happen and therefore everyone collectively taking responsibility um, for what happened. Yeah, I think that's really true. And um, I think one of the most difficult things to get right in governance is effective challenge, because what you want is people, you don't want people just to accept everything. You do need challenge, you need effective challenge, but somehow you need effective challenge with kindness. Uh, and I think sometimes we get challenge, but it's unkind, or sometimes we don't get any challenge and people just accept everybody else. Um, and, and there needs to be some sort of way of, of getting that, that, that effective challenge but that part of when people are pointing the finger is because they're scared that the finger is going to be pointed at them and they're going to be blamed. So therefore, they're not being able to fail themselves. So it's, it's allowing that culture where everyone can look and see what part they played in it um, and how that comes together. And I think for our trainees as well, it's really important from an educational perspective that they see us as consultants able to um, own up to it and to accept that and to talk about it openly rather than, than have a culture of fear in that department. And then they, they develop thinking that's how it, how it should be and they're scared to open up to their um, failures. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think particularly when it comes to education and sur surgical training, you know, these are um, habits and ways of working that we need to be teaching our, our trainees that it's okay to admit mistakes, but it's also okay to effectively challenge, but to do so in a way that's kind. Um, you know, because nobody, and I think this is a really important part of what we do, nobody wakes up in the morning, no healthcare professional wakes up in the morning with the intention of causing harm. When harm occurs, it's really unintentional. And in some ways, it's really sad where you have a culture of blame um, because 
you can't punish that individual who's been involved more than they will already be punishing themselves. I mean, we know that. We know how devastated we are. There's no point in, you know, hammering each other over the head because, you know, we're totally devastated already. And actually, in order to, to learn and to move on, we need support. We need people who will be honest with us, but kind and supportive with us. Because you don't want somebody to say, oh, that's okay, that didn't matter, because you know that it did matter. Um, but what you want someone to say is, you know, that did matter. But look, you can learn from this. We can all learn from this. Let's let's work out how we do it in a way that protects you and protects your reputation, but which enables us all to learn. And, and it's really hard to, to do that. We, we um, were discussing the personalities of surgeons and, and um, there was the paper from 2017 that referred to the surgical personality and the traits that perhaps surgeons have in comparison to non-surgeons. Um, and it was sort of that we're more conscientious um, and they sort of use the term neuroticism as in relating to anxiety and negative traits, which increases with age in surgeons. And I think that's probably because of um, the degree of complexity of surgery and the risks um and as you get older you know it's harder to keep up as you get older with the operating as well we all acknowledge how much more tired we are but also the responsibility the responsibility um that you feel i think increases as you go on in your career um, and i think those traits that, that surgeons have probably ha make it more difficult for us to fail well yeah, I think, um, and yeah, no, I totally agree with that. And I think the other thing which makes us particularly vulnerable um, to to failure or feelings of failure is that in no other area it's, uh, of healthcare or medicine, it's, I'm trying to think of the quote, but in no other area of healthcare or medicine is the outcome of an individual patient so related to the outcome of an individual, you know, the, the skill or expertise of an individual surgeon. Um, because you don't have that same, you know, because it's a, a, a technical skill um, which directly affects the patient outcome, um, it, I think we are particularly vulnerable. So I think that within the realms of wanting to say to people that, that you should be kind, that you should be able to discuss failures within a um, supportive environment, um, I mean, we can relate that to the increase of um, burnout and stress, anxiety, depression, much more now our results are scrutinised. When, when I was first became a consultant, the National Vascular Registry um, was a concept, um, but it, it was for vascular surgeons to audit their own data rather than for um, us, for our patients to look us up and look at our own results and data. That, that wasn't the initial um, reason for having the, the National Vascular Registry. So our results are much more out there in the open for people to look at. And I'm not much saying that that's a bad thing. People should know who's operating on them. But this inevitably, you know, leads to more scrutiny. Um, and I think it's the whole package of how can we unpick it all to help with this increase of burnout um, and to increase resilience. I think that's very much related to the work that you've done on this, Karis. Yeah, and I think, it, again, it just comes it's, it comes back to support. And, and I always get quite, sometimes get a bit frustrated when people talk about resilience and they start talking about ways to unwind and relax. And actually, that's sometimes not what I need. Actually, you know, when, when things go pear-shaped, you actually need people who um, will support you, not necessarily nice ways of relaxing or unwinding or escaping. You need all of that too, um, but it's not sufficient. 
So from the perspective of, and we touched on it before, about the fear of being called a failure, I mean, what are the issues with the law and the GMC and openness and honesty? Because I think that's what it comes back to. Ultimately, people are worried about they're going to be sued, they're going to be um, accused of um, negligence or poor practice and brought before the GMC. What's your view on that as far as admitting failure is concerned? I think that's really difficult because, um, you know, the growth, we, we know we want our organisations and, and surgeons to be growth mindset, but I don't think the law or the GMC is necessarily growth mindset um, or, you know, so um, it's really tricky. Um, but I think most of the mistakes that are made in healthcare organisations are out there in the open already. You know, if you look at, you know, a, a failure to es- escalate a high news score, for example, um, or the decision around a very complex patient, you know, most of that's already out in the open. I think, you know, we do have to be very careful about reflection and reflective learning. Of course we do. Um, and and often things aren't cut and dry. I mean, the number of serious incident reports I've had a look at, and particularly when you're looking at the management of a complex patient, there aren't hard and fast rules about how these should be managed. And you do need to make sure you're doing it in a fair and measured way as much as possible. I think it's 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 tricky. I think the only other thing to mention that I put, we, we really should talk about as part of this when we're talking about organisational aspects of how we create organisations which are growth mindset organisations. The terminology is about psychologically safe um, organisations. Um, and a lot of the work around organisations that are psychologically safe has been done by this um, professor, Amy Edmondson at Harvard. And she's got a great quote, which I love, and which sort of sums up psychological safety. She says, at some point during elementary school, children start to recognise that what others think of them matters. And they learn how to lower the risk of rejection or scorn. By the time we are adults, we're usually really good at it. Don't want to look ignorant, so don't ask questions. Don't want to look incompetent, so don't admit to mistakes. Don't want to be called disruptive, so don't make suggestions. And I think when we think about our organisations, we, you know, it's quite useful to say, well, are, are, do we have staff in our organisations, whether it's the surgeons or nursing staff on the ward that are happy to ask questions, even if they seem to be silly questions, or are happy to um, admit when things haven't gone right, or they've missed something, because we all do, you know, by nature, you know, humans are are, uh, are not perfect, and we all make mistakes, you know, um, and uh, and are they happy to make suggestions? I mean, none of us get up in the morning with intention of causing harm or doing wrong in the same way that I don't get up in the morning with the intention of arguing with my spouse or scraping the car or, you know, um, falling out with my kids. I don't intend for another patient or a patient to come to harm under my care, but it happens. Um, And I think sometimes we need to say, look, this is going to happen. So let's accept it's going to happen. And how are we going to deal with it? How are we going to deal with it in a way which is a little bit more protective and a bit more supportive, but but is still open and and, and honest. Mm-hmm. So it's definitely sort of. It sounds like we need to have a whole cultural change, um, both for individuals and for organisations. That would be amazing. <laughs> I think we've just about run out. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Karis and Ginny will return in two weeks' time for part two of this series, where they will illustrate the concepts introduced in this episode with specific case studies. 
Please see the show notes for links to some of the resources mentioned in this podcast, as well as further information on the professional passport program led by Ginny Bobrick for the Royal College of Surgeons of England. Don't forget to subscribe to the theater wherever you get your podcasts for future episodes. For the latest information and updates from the college, please visit our website or follow us on social media.